Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 119. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, at NetworkNerd underscore on Twitter, filling in for my normal co-host, John White, at VJourneyman. We are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey to virtual enlightenment. So let's take a trip. It's time for new beginnings. That's right. I mean, the next beginning of the next interview series, of course. This week will be part one of our interview with David Klee from Heraflex Technologies. If you know anything about David, you'll know that he is an extremely credible specialist who's highly technical in his field. And we're going to go through his early career. I think you'll find that his tinkering that started from a young age continued years later and really helped him excel and go deeper in a number of areas that perhaps his peers were not able to do. If I were to categorize David's journey in this episode, he really started off as a generalist who continued to scale the environments in which he worked, the technologies with which he worked, and the depth that he understood those technologies. And toward the end of this episode, you'll see that David reaches that decision point of, should I become a specialist? Should I keep doing what I'm doing? Or should I become a hyper-specialist? I won't spoil which decision he makes because, well, I don't want to. So let's listen closely and see what happens in our interview with David Klee, part one. Thanks for joining us on the Nerd Journey. Cool. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you being here. I think it's going to be a great discussion. Can you start by telling us a little bit about what you do today and who you are? Absolutely. Yeah. My name is David Klee. I'm lucky enough to be a Microsoft Data Platform MVP and a VMware V expert. And I actually own two companies now. Uh, the first one, Heraflux Technologies. We do enterprise consulting for business to business around Microsoft SQL Server and Microsoft Data Platform. And literally, everything underneath related to performance and availability. So, uh, you know, cloud, on-prem, virtualization, physical machines, networking, storage, and then really at the database layer, how it's being used and making sure that it stays up and running when the poop hits the fan. Uh, so I spend my days honestly playing with big toys and it's a lot of fun. And this is for any application that has one of those backend databases? Yeah, virtually every application out there has got some means to drive data to it. And I specialize on the Microsoft Data Platform, so really Microsoft SQL Server, and then how it interacts with everything underneath it. I will say that David is a good guy to know. He's done a lot of great presentations at VMUG. I was just at one the other day, which was fantastic for the Minneapolis VMUG. That's but awesome. We, Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very good technically deep and I was taking notes the whole time. Let's do this, David. Why don't we walk the career path? Because as I mentioned, you know, asking you about coming on the show, we had a sh we had a show released a while back called The Generalist Specialist Divide. And since you're someone who is, you know, in my mind, highly specialized, 
I'd love to know how you ended up where you are and if we'll go as far back as you want to go. <laughs> Starting with my first computer, if this tells you anything, I got a Tandy Color Computer 3 when I was five. <laughs> the thing was nice. amazing. And my my grandmother was a librarian. So when I wasn't at home in front of the computer, I was actually in the library for most of it, either reading or, quite honestly, I commandeered that computer and really took it over. And they had tons of computer programming books back then. So it was literally the magazines that had all the basic in there. So I would spend hours just typing all that stuff in and playing around with it. And so I, I knew basic, I think by the time I was six or seven. So call me a geek. <laughs> you know, I've been a geek since well before it was socially acceptable. <laughs> I've made peace with that. Um, you fast forward. Thing. No, it's, it's, it's fun now. You can get picked on a lot in grade school, but it's fun now. <laughs> um, so fast forward a couple of years. My mom got tired of me breaking her computer or getting caught taking it apart and putting it back together. So we scrapped together the guts of a home-built computer when I was eight built it myself. It worked. Didn't work great, but it worked. Um, at the age of 10, I started repairing computers for other people in the neighborhood and friends of the family, and word got out. And from 10 to 16, 17, I would say I would repair anywhere from two to 20 computers a week. You know, so it could be you know, I, I grew up in Georgia, so there were a lot of modem strikes from lightning, things like that you have to replace or stuff just getting fried or, you know, hard. This is right around when Windows 95 and 98 were coming out. So cleaning up a lot of that stuff. Um, when I was just getting into college, I took over a job where I was basically the help desk, sysadmin, networking, everything guru for a small little um, uh, military contractor in middle Georgia. Um, so I got to know Windows operating systems, and they had a early, early version of SQL Server. They also had a lot of Microsoft Access in there. So got to cut my teeth with that. Um, so fast forward a little bit further in school, I discovered a copy of VMware Workstation version 0.7 in November of 1999. And little geeky me put a copy of Windows NT4 and SQL Server 6.5 on it. And I put that on the Hack Together desktop that I had at home, and it worked great. <laughs> nice. Sounds like you've been doing consulting from a very young age. It was one of those things. It, it honestly gave me the freedom and the flexibility to have you know, really do whatever I wanted with technology from that perspective. Um, you know, it helped people fix their computers. I got to keep all the old parts. Uh, so, I, you know, at the, you know, high school and beginning of college, I probably had 10 hacked together computers in my bedroom. And, you know, it was great as a space heater, but, you know, I was compiling Slackware kernels when I was in middle school. You know, just, you could tinker with anything you wanted. And it was just fun. You know, it definitely beat the normal kid job of grocery store, you know, all the normal stuff. And I could work my own hours and could have fun with the stuff. And, you know, I, I just kept learning with it. I was going to say, did you become the doctor where you go to family gatherings and, hey, can you fix this, David? Hey, can you look at this? Or friends call you up. Hey, I'm having this trouble. Yeah, family and friend tech support um, hasn't ended. <laughs> Um, it used to be a lot worse than it is now. Um, most of the family members have pretty much disposable computers. Um, you know, 
my dad's got a recording studio. My mom's got an Intel Nuke. My mother-in-law has an Intel Nuke. Uh, most of what we have in the house are laptops, a couple of custom-built desktops. So I try to do the, the tech support now just for close friends and family because I'm, I'm not as up on it as I used to be. Now, you mentioned uh, the old VMware workstation, Windows NT4 and SQL. That was just the tinkering project, right? That was the tinkering, yeah. Wrap-up college, you know, got a double major, computer science, computer engineering. Um, so when you're in those kind of roles in school, what do they teach you? Go program, right? So got out of school, got a job as an application developer. Found out I'm a terrible programmer. <laughs> absolutely terrible programmer now when you say terrible is that more of a i just don't understand the code the constructs or don't really like it i understand it and i can code i just don't like it it doesn't come naturally and it's it's always been like that you know i just i don't know i could code basic stuff you know when i was little simple languages the second you hit all these these weird methodologies and all the stuff that doesn't work like you want it to, it just doesn't come naturally. And I, it, it stresses me out. Other things with technology come a little bit more easy. Yeah. I, I can pick up on it quicker. Basically did a role as an application developer for a couple of years, realized it just wasn't for me. And at the time Omaha was opening a uh, brand new, really big performing arts center took a job there as both a DBA and a system administrator because I'd been dabbling with SQL Server on the side. Uh, you know, always kept up my sysadmin chops with different, you know, part-time jobs, things like that. And it was being built. They had a lot of stuff going on. And the interesting thing there, this was 2004, 2005-ish. So build a $100 million performing arts center. You think they gave any provision to IT at all? Nope. Nope. Hey, we need connections, guys. <laughs> Can you <laughs> yeah. put that on the internet? <laughs> yeah. Well, they had they had provisions for wiring and all that, but literally we had one janitorial closet that we stole. We put, yeah, we put a uh, an air conditioner in the loading bay. Used a sawzall to cut a hole in the door for an air return, and I had room for one forty-two U rack. So the other sysadmin and I basically had forty-two U to work with. We had a tape backup. We had a storage array. We had a slower storage array. We had a phone system. We had three or four network switches, and we had no less than 37 distinct servers that we had to make run. Oh, my. So what do you do? This was right around the time VMware GSX was out, and ESX had just started to rear its pretty little head. So we virtualized it all, 100%. What else are you going to do? And it worked. Fast forward two years. The Performing Arts Center is up. And because you're the DBA, you get to pick your own seats and hold them in the database. <laughs> so BB King, dead center, front row. <laughs> wow, that must have been fantastic. Oh, my goodness. It was amazing. Uh, the the, the behind-the-scenes access that I had at that place to get to talk with some of these folks and really get to know them, amazing. Um, I, I could go on for hours about how... Some folks' profile photos don't look like their real-life persona or that some people are just the coolest people in the world and you wish you could get to know them, you know, you know personally. Um, you know, one of the one of the performers, a little side note, one of the performers loved the hall so much that I was there working late one night 
they did a jazz show, jazz pianist with a big band, and um, they stuck around backstage, and my office was right next to where they would leave the backstage area, and they asked me, you know, can we go back out there when everybody's gone? Because we love the acoustics. We just want to go play some more. It's like, cool. So I called up my boss, and he said, oh, yeah, no problem. Let them go. They played until 6.30 a.m., and me and a few of the union guys and I think a janitor sat in this literally dead center, nobody else around, and watched them play for another six and a half hours. And then they took us all out for breakfast. <laughs> oh, wow. Super cool. <laughs> now, I imagine, well, I know that many of these performers are well-connected people. Did meeting those people and getting to visit with them in any way lead you to future connections in in career, personal life, anything like that? No. I wish it did, but no. <laughs> I just didn't know if they started digging into what you did and that led you to a big customer. I wish. <laughs> I, I would just, I wish I knew some of them just personally because there were just some really cool people that came through. Yeah, that's fantastic. And to get to say that you built all that infrastructure from the ground up, that's a lot of really good experience that people entering the workforce to be a sysadmin, for example, you're not going to have that off the bat unless you've done it. You've got to wait for the right opportunity to do it. It was the right place at the right time. And there were three of us that did all the IT work to get that place off the ground and integrate, no exaggeration, at least six different arts organizations under one ticketing umbrella. So the act of making SQL Server do what we needed it to do for that entire process, I had to lead that. And it was fascinating. Uh, just different points of view, tons of reporting, different availability needs, disaster recovery, you know, website integration with the system plus point of sales plus integrating with the phone system plus all the ad hoc reporting that those kind of organizations need. I mean, the demands are all over the place and to be able to pick and set it from day one, it, it gave you a perspective that people coming into an established IT organization don't normally get. And it was really cool. Did you did they send you to any certification and training courses on SQL or was this you just figured it out because you had tinkered with it enough? Yeah, this was me and a stack of books taller than me. It was that and my home lab. I've always had the home lab. And if I needed to experiment with something going on, I could turn around and quite literally spin something up in my house um, and just tinker and experiment with something, run different benchmarks, and try to see what would happen if things didn't go the way I wanted and what would happen as the outcome of that. And this was mid-2000s, and no exaggeration, I was in an apartment then. I had a stack of compact DL380s, not HP, but compact DL380s. Um, I had a couple of network-attached storage units that I built. I had tons of networking in the house. Um, I honestly probably should have had an air conditioner on it because there was so much of it. Um, but all of it was running VMware at the time. And it all ran just fine. Wasn't the fast, it was all used equipment, but it just worked. There's something to be said about the value of a home lab. I mean, there are free lab environments out there through different vendors, whether it's VMware, Microsoft, or other. But building it from the ground up, there's something about being a builder that you just can't teach unless you've had that experience. That experience alone gives you so much knowledge. It teaches you what can happen if you do something incorrectly, and it teaches you how to recover from it. And that's something that is absolutely critical with building troubleshooting skills over the years. 
And when you're talking about virtualization, you know, it's not just the hardware and the storage and the database anymore. You got the virtualization layer too. So you have to know the different layers of the stack and how the NUMA architecture lines up and all the technical details of that as it relates to SQL, VMware, et cetera. And it just gets fascinating. And back in the day, nobody told me that I couldn't do that successfully. So I did it and it worked. And literally it was two years after we got everything up and running, we're sitting at a show and a friend of mine was sitting next to me and we started talking shop before the show. And he just says, no, you can't virtualize anything important. I'm like, look around. Everything in this place is virtual. Website, the barcode scanners by the doors, the ticketing system, and literally everything in the entire place except the phone system was 100% virtual. So why can't you do it? Because I did, and it works. <laughs> and you probably had to ensure that it was PCI compliant and all the other good stuff too, right? Well, you name it, we had to deal with it, and it just worked. Wow. Yeah. That's a fantastic story. It was fun. And I, I, so I stayed there for, I think it was three and a half years. Um, I built a volunteer management system that would integrate with the ticketing system so that it would offload a lot of the work from the house managers. We had the website automated. We had DR. We had failover between a couple different performing arts centers in Omaha. And, you know, at the time that I left, things were getting streamlined. Everything was kind of a well-oiled machine at that point. So I figured, you know, let's go do something a little bit different. I was putting in, you know, 70, 80, 90 hour weeks because the show must go on and decided to hand it off to somebody else and go do something a little different. And it sounds like you used a little bit of your application developer skills to help with that automation. Even though you weren't a big fan of coding, it definitely came in handy as, as good experience to carry you forward in that, in that role. I used that job as a way to teach me .NET. Um, basically, the so do this take a performing arts center with 350 shows a year and 1300 volunteers what's the best way to manage all that excel that's what they had you know they were just getting started they didn't have anything better for it and literally at a given show you have people that volunteer for a show who don't make it you have people that are qualified to work certain positions you had scheduling nightmare you had training for all of it you had all this stuff um, and i built a system quite literally to save the lives of multiple people in that role. It was just chewing through people because you, know, you would work eight to five as a volunteer coordinator and then five to midnight as a house manager and do that seven days a week. It just didn't work. So pick an impossible task, learn.net, build this volunteer management system, pick an impossible deadline, four months, go. And I built it. A lot of personal time went into it. And the first week that it went live, it saved 50 man hours of work between two positions. Wow. So you did database design and everything from the ground up. Yep. Including UI, which I'm still terrible at. <laughs> functional is functional. It worked. And they used it for at least 10 years before they got a different group on board to build a successor to it. And they still use that. That's fantastic. I'm pretty proud of that for my first real programming job project. That is definitely something to be proud of. And it sounds like you wanted to move on from there just because you didn't want to put in an enormous amount of hours anymore. It was at the point where things were status quo and I was putting in a lot of time still and you know just wanted to slow down a little bit, get into kind of bigger scale equipment. 
And um, the right opportunity came around, believe it or not, through one of the volunteers who saw me build that system who happened to be the CIO at a financial group there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the work that I did there led to the next role. And, uh, you know, great place. I have nothing against them. They were just super cool. But at that place, I basically, I was the application developer, DBA, and VMware admin. And, you know, was there three years, two and a half, three years, something like that. Honestly, the an opportunity found me from there. But while I was there, got everything virtualized and streamlined, saved them a bunch of money, set up DR, um, learned a lot, and learned a lot about how third-party vended applications are very terrible at the database side. And it sounds like you were able to scale up the things you had done before so that you gain this greater, I guess we would probably classify that as more enterprise-like experience. Instead of saying, I built this one rack, I built multiple sites or multi-region availability, global availability, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that place definitely got me the opportunity to play with bigger and better. We were dealing with a financial group that had, I think, about three or 400 employees. Uh, they had multiple locations all over the place. I think they had 17 or 18 distinct lines of business, each with their own ERP system, each that needed to be integrated with. And dealing with some of these things, definitely not small time. It was It was definitely challenging. A lot of big toys to play with there just worked. You know, it was it was fun. Good people. Like that place. <laughs> I was going to say, were you the only person in IT at that at this place, or part of a larger team? There were seven of us in IT total. So the standard roles: there was a CIO who had his hands dirty in everything, which is great. Um, there was um, help desk. There was a document imaging system that a couple of folks there specialized in. They did a really good job with that. And then there are a couple of folks on the system side to keep the lights on, keep everything running. And then me, which is kind of the geek of all trades with pretty much everything else that the other folks didn't want to do. Almost like specialized systems administrator slash architect. In a way, yeah. But then there's the whole other duties as assigned with all the data integration and pretty much everything else that people didn't want to do. I had to deal with backups and exchange and all this other stuff. Was that your first real exposure to ERP systems? And learning those, or had you had some experience before that? It was the second one. At the Performing Arts Center, the primary ERP system that they used was a package specifically designed for the Performing Arts System called Tessitura. Uh, so that was my first big ERP system that I worked on. I worked on a few small ones in the past, but the Tessitura platform was the big one, and it managed everything. It was Honestly, it was really well designed. I still really miss the community around it. It was fun. Um, but it, that was the big one. Um, at the at the financial group, there was you know, sales logics. There was a bunch of different Oracle machines. There were a bunch of different SQL Server machines with Dynamics and you know SharePoint, all this other stuff. So dealing with all those together, it's the first time I had to deal with more than one big one and trying to make them all play nice together. And in trying to make them play nice together, you have to know something about the business processes going on in those systems. Yes. I think that's how people get a little more oriented with the business they're helping as a technologist. If they don't get to be part of the tech implementation of different business processes, sometimes they aren't able to make the connection back to the business. Well, they have to be able to, I mean, you have to know how the business is using the application in order to figure out how better to, to leverage it, to make IT better and make their jobs better. 
you know, for example, um, my first job out of college when I was a developer, I basically worked on a massive web survey platform, but I was also the intermediary between the folks that developed the web survey platform and a different team that used the web survey platform to build web surveys. And what I found there was really interesting. It taught me a lot. Um, the folks that built the platform didn't necessarily know how the team that used it used it. And they had differences of opinion on things where, you know, the team building it would spend all this time on some new feature because they thought it was great. And then they would show it to the other team like, we don't care. We're doing it this other way and it works great. You know, and just that that disconnect there was really interesting. Performing Arts Center was the same way. You know, they had, uh, try, try doing this. Take six different performing arts groups. They all have their differences of opinions on the way financials get reported, where shows get set up, and now integrate them onto the exact same ticketing platform that has its own set of defined rules. It got really interesting really fast, especially trying to customize who could see what, who could do what, who could handle you know, a business case that was slightly different than what they were expecting. And can you change their business to the way the ERP system works? Or how do you customize the ERP system to make it work the way they do business? It was just fascinating. I think the does it fit into the business or does the business process that exists fit into it that drives a lot of technology decisions across the board for almost anything these days. Yes, and those decisions need to be made up front, but unfortunately it's really hard to figure out until you're neck deep in an implementation if that's actually going to work. So, so true. It was interesting. At that role, a consulting group that we had used on some Oracle work, I got to know one of the founders. And they were looking for somebody to lead a SQL Server initiative. They were mainly an Oracle consulting shop. And after a little bit of time, it's like, you know, I like working on a lot of different things, potentially at the same time. Let's go talk to them. And sure enough, they ended up hiring me. You know, I had to go ask my boss at the time, if it was okay for me to interview with this other group, that was nerve wracking because there's a clause in there that said they wouldn't poach employees, <laughs> you know, but thankfully he was really cool. He saw that I wanted to basically deal with more and he was really cool about it. I give him a lot of kudos for that. When you mentioned wanting to do a lot of different things at once, are you talking about different things in the same focus area? Because it seems like this is a shift into that focus area of database not that the others weren't. I mean, that all the other roles definitely touched it in some way, but this seems more like that stepping one foot into what other people would call a specialty. And that's yes. scary for a lot of people out there. This is one of those that I'll, I'll step back a second. At the time, I had this running train of thought in my head that how does an IT professional break into the business side to where what you do starts to contribute to the well-being of a business rather than keeping the lights on. And that was something that I always wanted. And it was a, it's, it's still a really hard task where when you're in the weeds as an operational IT person, depending on the business, they may actually treat IT as a whole as a cost sink and not a business driver. And I wanted to shift that. And I realized that in order to, to start to become more of you know, really a way to make a difference to the business better, I wanted to start specializing. This particular organization was really unique because they 
not only focused on the database side, but they dabbled with the stuff underneath it. It's really interesting, and it really struck me in a good way because that was what I really enjoyed doing. And in the discussions that I had with them, it's like, yeah, you're going to be able to learn more about SQL Server, but we do a lot with VMware, we do a lot with physical machines, we touch on storage. It's like, you know, this is right up my alley with what I really enjoy, and it's more of a direction that I want to go in. So it sounds like even though it's a specialty, it didn't pigeonhole you from having to know multiple layers of the stack. You're not confined to just being, I work on the database and nothing else. It's those layers below and meshing them all together that really makes for a better troubleshooting experience and knowledge base. It was really, it was intriguing because the act of being a generalist made it easier for me to be effective as a specialist. And it made me stronger as a specialist because I understood how all the pieces around it related to it. So you can look at things not individually, but as a system and figure out how the pieces interrelate. And that was one of the things that they did really, really well. And I'm really happy that I jumped on board with that with them. So with, at that place, I was there for four years and or three and a half years and built up a big SQL Server enterprise consulting practice. We had a number of folks working with us. And at that job, I ended up being able to interact directly with a lot of the folks at VMware Corporate. And I was basically on the ground floor of VMware Corporate's push for enterprise business app virtualization. So when I was there, I got to know a lot of the key players. I got to do some R&D with them. Um, I actually helped work on some of the original SQL Server on VMware authoring and training that went out to a lot of their partners worldwide. Literally just right place, right time, right people. And it was cool. I got to start playing and doing some of these projects for some really big companies. I mean, there's energy drink company, there's a bunch of logistics companies, um, you know, big financial groups. I got to start playing with some big toys. And did you get the same inside scoop on for Microsoft as well on SQL Server, things that are coming out that are new? I remember you said you were a Microsoft MVP. Was yeah. that starting around this time or? Actually, it was a little bit later. Um, so it, right around this time, I started playing with Hyper-V on my own. Um, the, the consulting company that I was at didn't really do a lot with Hyper-V, but I was really curious to see where Microsoft was going with it. So I, start, I started diving in on my own. Um, it was right around the time that I started my own company uh, that I got the MVP designation. And how was that experience going from working inside an organization and other people inside that organization that organization are your customers to where you work with many different organizations and they are your customers. Each environment's a little bit different. It was fascinating. And I have no other word to describe it because to, to go into multiple completely different industries with the exact same technology, literally SQL Server, VMware, Hyper-V, physical machine, whatever, and to look at how they've implemented what they're doing with it and see a thousand different use cases with a hundred different verticals and you know you name it they built it custom application or bought it from other people i i claim that the the learning curve behind that felt like i was interviewing for my job every single week and every environment was so different that the learning curve didn't stop 
and I loved it because I was able to see patterns in certain places and learned how to apply them to others that, you know, maybe somebody had not done something good enough. Maybe I, you know, trick and learn somewhere somewhere else could actually get better performance over here, vice versa, or you did it great. You know, we're going to talk you up because here's some other stuff that we can do next to that, you know, and it was just the, it's, it's a never ending learning curve. And I joke that every month as a consultant, you grow a year in professional experience because you see so many different things. You mentioned you kind of had to interview for your job constantly. Was it challenging to work with the boots on the ground folks at these customers where you were consulting? We had a previous guest on who talked about as IT professionals, we need to learn how to work better with consultants. So let's hear it from the consultant side. <laughs> yes. Um, bottom line, when when I was getting started and didn't have a little bit of a reputation about being pretty easy to work with, honestly, most people see consultants as people that are going to come in, challenge every single thing that they do, and tell them that everything they've done is poor, and try to tell you how to do your job or take your job. And that's a lot of people treat that where they just want to keep you at arm's length. They give you the little bit that they want you to do. And, you know, it's like, stay, do, do what we tell you. Don't bring anything else up because they, they either fear it or they don't want to hear it because you open up a lot of skeletons in the closet. I don't work like that. You know, I treat myself as part of the business because I want to fix stuff. I want to make things better. I'm not here to replace anybody. I'm here to educate and I'm here to improve. And I'm here to show you how to do it. So quite frankly, you don't have to call me back next time. You know how to do this stuff in-house. Call me back for something new. Call me back for something you know, weird or you know that sort of thing. Don't call me back for the same thing. I already showed you how to fix it. That kind of cuts through a lot of that normal hesitancy that a lot of people get. I like that. Now, do you think people also have their guard up on the consultant front just to make sure, all right, we want to... We want to ensure that this person has the technical chops to be able to do whatever this consulting firm is selling us in terms of a service and statement of work. Oh, yeah. Definitely have to check that out. It's not just that. It's that they may have been burned by other consultants. You know, I mean, I, quite frankly, I see a lot of that where some really big names out there in the consulting industry will come in, they promise the world, and you pay through the nose, and then what you get is either not impactful, not relevant, or quite frankly, wrong. And you know, I mean, uh, there's a project I'm starting in three weeks, really big company out there, a well-known SQL Server consultant absolutely ripped this company off, gave them 100 level recommendations to fix a 500 level problem, and then walked and won't talk to them again when they wanted their money back. And the amount of scrutinizing that I had when when discussing with them the nuances of this particular project, they didn't want to get burned again. And I get it. You know, they they dropped a lot. I mean, we're talking Mercedes, you know, kind of money when they shouldn't have paid that just because of this other person's name. And they didn't get what they're paying for. And they they've got their guard up for that. So part of the the process of all this, it's it's honestly, it's it's not why I do it, but it's a side effect. I love giving information away publicly because when people finally call me for projects, all they have to do is just Google search for what I do, and you're going to find a lot of examples out there. It's like, yeah, I don't know everything, but I know enough, and I know what questions to ask. And I hope that comes through in a lot of the, the education, the free stuff that I give away because I 
generally don't get a lot of of you know oh how do you think you know how to do this because i've done that before you know and here's the 10 things of proof that i can give you on this you know i don't get a lot of the the challenges to what i can do the the challenge that i get now is you know is this something that can be fixed and how much work is going to go through to do it because some of these challenges are pretty significant yeah seems like level of effort is always an interesting mystery challenge to put together when you don't live in that environment day to day. But you mentioned something that's extremely important, that we should all be building a body of work that's accessible to other people so that they can see what we've done. I mean, we can tell them about it, but if they can read or, or look at something we've done, that's that's extremely helpful in building our own personal brand and helping our careers move forward whether yeah. you're whether you're working for a customer a vendor consulting firm anything i'll give you an example of this um and this is one of my favorite stories 2011 i was part of the omaha sql server user group so you think it's omaha how technique can it be well 2011 we had a user group that would get 60 to 80 people every single month I mean, it was a serious group, really diehard committed folks. The guy who started it, I was lucky enough to be in the first meeting, got to know him really well. He's a lifelong friend now. And um, we decided to put on what's called a SQL Saturday and essentially um, do a one day conference. You might have, you know, one hour sessions, might do six of those in a given day, You might have five or six tracks wide. It's completely free for all the attendees. The sponsors pay a nominal fee. Companies will generally give you the space to go do this. We got lucky and put one on at the University of Omaha, or University of Nebraska at Omaha. They gave us the building. It was amazing. Um, we had a speaker back out at the last minute. So my friend said, you are going to speak on SQL Server on VMware Performance Tuning. You have no option. You will present this session. <laughs> it's like, um, okay, whatever. That's one way to approach it. Yeah, <laughs> and it was fun. So I got up and did a session. Um, there were about 40 people in the room. I had a good old time. You know, I just really enjoyed it. Well, there was one gentleman in the back who was really, really watching me and watching what I was saying, but didn't say a word. Like, okay, cool. But three months later, I get a random email, and it was from this gentleman. And it was, I'm presenting at your equivalent of the Super Bowl in six months it's the, at the time the past summit annual conference the at the time the biggest sql server community conference of the year would you like to present with me on the topic you presented on that sql saturday and i'm sitting back going who is this guy so went and did a quick google search of him and if you've ever looked up in the database space the sql in a nutshell o'reilly's book that i think is on its 11th revision at this point this was the author guy's name is kevin klein he now works for Solar Winds. Um, that not to was... be confused with the actor, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah, and the guy is and will always be a legend in the Microsoft SQL Server space. So October of that year, I'm on stage with this legend. They closed the door to the room 30 minutes before our session because a fire marshal said it hit capacity, and I get up there and give the the session on sql server on vmware performance tuning in at the time 2012 packed the room i think it was like 500 and something people in there at capacity standing room only had an absolute blast <laughs> and that you know that track record 
just like you said, of the community speaking, the blogging, the videos. That's the kind of stuff that just it grows over time and you build a reputation for, you know, doing X. Like for the longest time um, at my last company, I could talk about SQL Server on VMware instead of just virtualization. So I got known as the SQL Server on VMware guy, you know, but that was unique in the industry and it kind of helped made it make a name for me. Now, during all this, was there ever any fear of, can I go back to being a generalist? I think I know the answer, but I want to ask the question, will it be hard for me to go back to being a generalist if this ever doesn't work out? There's never a fear of it because I always kept my hands dirty with all the infrastructure technology. You know, I've, I've always had the home lab. And at these different projects that I was consulting in, either for, you know, the, the last company that I worked for or my current setup, you'd always get your hands dirty with the infrastructure, with virtualization, now with cloud. And the act of becoming a generalist never scares me. And I still find it really fun to, just to figure out how all these pieces react and respond and relate. Um, I still love to to really dive into the SQL Server side because that's honestly where I have the most fun. But at the same time, to you know, do a, a VMware Hyper-V upgrade or a cloud migration for somebody and understand the licensing and the capacity and all the, the availability pieces of it, I, I still have a lot of fun with it. If I'm someone who gets a little more specialized like you did, is that normally a gateway for me to advance and pay without going into management? Does that specialty, and as you keep going down the brand building road, is that going to lead me to a lot more money that I might be seeking without me needing to be a manager, for example? That's a great question. You hit a point in an IT career where either you become a specialist in a certain area of technology and you seek the job at the company that will pay you the most to do that, the one that values that role the most, or you become a consultant in that specialty and make good or better money with a lot more demands, with a lot more stress that comes with the job, or you become the enterprise architect that understands all of the pieces conceptually, and then you hand off to the individual people who are the specialists in each of the areas. Those are where I see, if you wanna stay in the tech side, that's kind of the paths that it leads you into. And none of them are wrong. Each one of them are, are great if that's what you want. And how long has the enterprise architecture role been a been an actual path? Is that is that relatively new compared to the other two? I would I would see it eh, last 15, 20 years. You know, there's there've always needed to be people that understand how the pieces of the puzzle work together. You know, I had a friend of mine who was an enterprise architect for a really, really big internet provider in the late nineties. And um, you know, I was out of the Atlanta area, and he knew conceptually how all the pieces in this data center work. At the time, he had like a half a billion dollars worth of electronics that he could deal with there. It was big. And he understood how each one of them worked, and he understood where his role ended and where he needed to hand stuff off to the people that managed each of those layers. And I, I learned a lot from the guy. I also learned that Cisco core switches, when they melt down, are really expensive because they had one of these outside their data center doors, a warning that if you see alerts on chiller failures, you don't wait. <laughs> Goodness, that's awful. It's like a $2 million switch. <laughs> Maybe it's more that people have been doing the enterprise architecture thing 
in principle for a while and that the title is maybe semi-new, or at least it, it, it was to me in this industry. The title is evolving. The, the infrastructure architect, the solutions architect, the, the, those were the roles of the, the IT director in the past, you know, or the, you know, just senior engineer, you know, those kind of titles and the roles shift. Now you got a lot more to worry about, but the, the, the general pretense I'd say has been around for, for forever. Just the, you know, the roles and the buzzwords around them change. You're at this firm that does consulting for databases and everything underneath. Uh, you mentioned SQL. You mentioned virtualization platforms, getting into storage, networking, even Oracle, right? Yep. At what point in there does it begin to touch public cloud technologies? It was right around – so here's the interesting part. It was right around the time that public cloud was just starting to emerge, and I was watching this stuff evolve – the company that I was at wasn't really that interested in cloud technologies. They were neck deep with VMware, and they, they had a good thing going with them. They were looking more at license assessments, things like that. I wanted to stick with the more holistic, you know, give me the data, give me how it interacts, that sort of thing. And that was around the time that I decided I was going to start and go do my own. like we'll have to save the story of David going out on his own for next week. I really liked the fact that he continued to tinker with things that were interesting to him throughout his career. It wasn't just this hyper-focus on only databases, but he continued to dive into the systems underneath, the hypervisors, the storage, other applications that might interact with the databases. And I think that's what really made the difference. He was able to take that generalist background and keep a lot of it to make him a better specialist in the long run. And I really liked that he was able to build a lot of systems from the ground up. Think about that volunteer management system and all the different things that went into that. Not only the database design, the coding, where it would be hosted, but getting the processes that a user would follow by walking through the interface, getting those down and putting them in code for someone else to, to save a lot of time and efficiency in their job is, is a really great experience for someone to have. He learned a lot about the business and how it works throughout that process and really made himself more valuable. And like a number of other guests, David did a lot of things to build his brand and show his expertise in the field. Some of it was by working on larger projects and with different companies, but in other ways... For example, the story about him being forced to give a presentation that ended up leading to a much larger stage for him to give a similar presentation later. You have to know that that kept him at the top of his field. When someone sees your presentation, or hears it, rather, and they find the content helpful and useful to them, or relevant to them in some way, they're probably going to tell somebody else about it. And so others are going to know that you have something to say that's helpful and relevant to them. I really liked the consultative approach that David continued to take 
throughout his career and this need to deal with more as a factor in what helped him grow. And we talked about how he is a deep specialist. And when I asked him about fears of going back to being a generalist again, he never feared that because he always kept his overall skill set sharp with the home lab and the tinkering throughout. I'm excited to see what we hear next week about how his consulting gig is going and what it's really like to own your own business. Just a reminder, we want people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy. At Network Nerd underscore flying solo for now. For John White at V Journeyman, signing off.